Now just a quick word from one of the sponsors of this show. As you know by now, I've lived in Saigon, Vietnam for three years, and one of the reasons I've done so is that I've found a selection of places that give me a home away from home feeling. One of these places is Yujus in Tao Dien, also Haga Smart Tech. Now both of these are owned by the same lady, Han, who has appeared on the podcast to discuss her business journey from the countryside in Hoi An, Vietnam, all the way to the big city of Saigon, setting up two businesses in her brand and her image, prioritizing honesty, integrity, good quality customer service, and friendly care. If you are in the Taodian region, I highly recommend you go to Haga Smart Tech to deal with any of your electronic devices, and you juice if you want completely healthy fruit juices, smoothies, and protein shakes. That's you juice and also Haga Smart Tech. I will include the links in the show notes. Thank you, and on with the rest of the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. As you know, I am your host, Connor, and I interview people from Saigon, Vietnam, and also around the world about their experiences, their stories, their journeys, why they do what they do, and more. And today is a special episode. It is a recap with the first ever guest that I had on Comeback 18 months ago. It is Casey Day, who is from Ireland slash Canada, involved in stand-up comedy, and joined me last time to discuss mental health, her journey, comedy, just doing it, being your own best friend, and many more topics. I'm delighted to welcome her back to have a catch-up, see where we're both at, and reflect. Welcome back, Casey. How are you? Hey, Connor. Thanks for having me back. It's been a long time. It has, absolutely. And as I was just telling you before we recorded, I was reflecting on the episode today that we first did ages ago, 18 months ago, for a number of reasons. And I was both proud, but also cringing at the whole process, I suppose, (laughs) which is, I suppose, natural. What are your memories of that first conversation we had 18 months ago? Oh, wow. Um, I remember coming over to your place at the time and you not really had much of a setup going on, but it was a great conversation and you were able to record it. And I admire that because I think when people think about getting started the podcast, they automatically dive into, oh, what should I buy? How much money should I spend? And I've seen people do that time and time and again, and the podcast doesn't really go anywhere. But you've kind of proved that there's not much you need, just a willing to get out there and do it, like we talked about last time. And yeah, just persevering and believing in yourself. Absolutely. I think my whole ethos at that time was that it won't be perfect because it's, I guess, a new project, something I've never done. And the most important thing during that stage of when something is new and unfamiliar and daunting is to just fucking do it. And so I literally remember having two chairs, a small stool. The room was battered and it looked like something out of a university (laughs) house. I had my mobile phone, a glass of water for me, a beer for you. And that was it. That was literally it. I just went record, boom. But as I told you, I listened back today and the actual conversation I think is great. 
I think there are a lot of points that still stand up now. I think as a debut episode, it was great. And it really did get me grounded and get the whole podcast started. The only bits I looked for me were I spoke too quickly. I interrupted. (laughs) My voice kept coming through. I stuttered. But I suppose because that was the first ever time, you're naturally going to be flawed, shall we say. And so it's a nice, it was a nice reminder today, looking back at the progress that has been made since that episode. Of course. And like all of those things that you said, that you mentioned that you did, like you're going to do all of that probably still because you're human, you know, like we all do stuff like that. I listened to the podcast today as well, Um, (laughs) just to just to reflect on what it was that we were talking about and, you know, to kind of see if um, my thoughts and beliefs like align still. And I'm still doing the same. I'm still making the same mistake where I talk anywhere publicly or on podcasts and saying like too much. And I'm trying to fix that, but we'll see. We'll see how this episode goes. Absolutely. And we have both alluded to the fact we've listened, we've reflected, we both know the contents of that episode. And I suppose the first thing that I remember you talking about, uh, there was obviously the challenges section with your background. And then there was Mm -hmm. the, the bit that I really took away from it of being your own best friend. You will be the only person who goes to sleep with yourself at night in your head. And the importance of having some kind of state shifting memorabilia like a vision board or something on your phone with quotes or memories that really get you into a positive mind frame and remind you of your past successes do you still practice any of those techniques if I may ask you what does it look like you know I have not um, unfortunately I have not been my own best friend lately Um, it's been a wild year you know I left Vietnam last August Mm. And I relocated to Romania um, to take a a job at an international school. And it was like a great decision, Um, but it hasn't been without its difficulties. And for the last couple of months, um, my mental health hasn't been great. I have been seeing a a therapist and a psychiatrist here and the service is excellent. And, you know, I have a lot, I have a lot to be thankful for, but it just, it's like, it shows you just how, bad things can still be even through really good circumstances if that makes sense yeah absolutely I've had my own challenges throughout 2022 which have it's a strange one I've been experimenting with the idea from reading authors like Tony Robbins Eckhart Tolle and Joe Dispenza that you can actually flip it and not have words like depression and anxiety in your vocabulary therefore not experiencing them but I'm also going towards the chemical imbalance theory of thinking it can never fully be erased but only balanced and I suppose that balancing act or that paradox can cause problems especially when like us issues still arise despite despite our inevitable progress yeah absolutely I think one of the most helpful things in my mental health journey over the last year was actually getting a diagnosis um because I thought I was just depressed. I thought it was just anxiety events that led me to examine my actions and examine my thoughts and like kind of figure out through the maze where I was going, where I was leading myself to. 
and we came to the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. Mm. And so therapists, therapists won't really talk about diagnosis, uh, diagnosis to patients because it kind of, you know, it's, it's almost like a self-sabotage in some uh, cases, um, you know, where the client or the patient is kind of too wrapped up in the name and, you know, it, it sends them into a spiral. But for me, it made a lot of sense to self-actualize and reflect and, you know, come to terms with my behavior cycles and therefore trying to change my behavioral cycles. Absolutely. Um, it's been a wild time. It's been such a wild time. Mm. And it links with a theme that I always talk about of taking responsibility that now there's an official diagnosis, it can be quite, quite reassuring in a way, in a weird way that you can now actually put something to it. And it's there, there's no ambiguity, and you can work on it. I do have knowledge about anxiety and depression from personal experience and from talking to others, etc. But I must admit, I don't know very much about borderline personality disorder. Do you mind talking to me about the symptoms, the details, what it is in comparison to the others, perhaps? Do you mind telling me a bit more information? Not at all. I'd love to. Um, because when I first started, basically, when I first open the dialogue about this disorder with my therapist I was starting to kind of recognize like key moments in my life that I'd never had thought about before and I said oh my god like this is a huge indication of you know this disorder and everything kind of add up and like fit like a jigsaw a jigsaw piece a jigsaw puzzle um and basically Anxiety and depression and actually ADHD kind of feed into this disorder. Sometimes um, with this disorder, patients can think that they're ADD or they're like depressed. It's, it's very, disorders like this are, are very hard to diagnose. Um, there are nine symptoms and you, a, a patient, sorry, will only have to display five to be diagnosed, I was displaying eight. Mm. And um, <clears throat> there are four different, or sorry, five different types of um, borderline. There is effective, which basically means that, um, the patient will go through like very, very disturbing mood swings, like a couple of minutes, like I would be happy, but like, you know, euphoric. And then a couple of minutes later, I would be you know, absolutely manically depressed. Like it was, you know, like episodes. And uh, another type is impulsivity. So um, this is basically a, I'm losing my words now. It's a method of self-soothing. Um, so it could, it could manifest itself in self-harming or suicidal attempts. Um, impulsive behaviors like spending, um, turning to drugs and alcohol, um, gambling, uh, binge eating, stuff like that. Um, the one that I resonated most with was spending. So if I was down or I was in a depressive state, I would spend money to kind of self-soothe, make myself feel better. Um, and it would kind of get me into a bit of a financial issue, like credit cards. I should never have a credit card um, I would just like buy 
so my my main types of spending would be like home stuff like stuff for my home mm. and clothing right i see and all of these symptoms come together and it sounds to me quite exhausting and i'm sure you can concur with that um how have you managed to i know we've mentioned right now there's a difficult period but i suppose if we may try to think of the brighter days and the moments where it is under control, what sort of techniques or remedies do you use to stay on top of your diagnosis? Um, well, it's that that's what makes borderline personality disorder so, so unique when it comes to self-regulation um, because the, the other symptoms are like, you know, affect relationships and they've affected almost every relationship personal um love or work that i've ever had and that was the that was the realization that led me to discuss with my therapist um during my life i had you know like anybody i had a series of jobs and i it was the moment when i was with my therapist i had just had a very turbulent ending of a job at my old school and it was not positive and I was considering if it was, you know, my fault or if it was like, you know, a mutual, a mutual problem or if it was like the school. And it just kind of clicked with me that I had, I've had very few jobs in the past that had ended on a positive note. And that really made me look internally, like look inside myself. Mm. And it's actually, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the stages of self-regulating would be to self-actualize to like sit with the with the harsh truths you know um but they're like that like the uh the relationships that basically there's um unstable relationships is a symptom which basically um described my relationships emotional instability like i like i mentioned before and then fear of abandonment, uh, you know, like thinking, latching on to people and things because um, you you don't want them to abandon you. But in in that very nature, it's like it's like clutching at sand, you know. Like the harder you hold on, the more like the faster you're losing the people or the things or the relationships. It's like it's a self fulfilling prophecy. It's been described as because you almost you almost believe that those people want to abandon you and you make it so that they leave you know like it's you're projecting that that is the kind of relationship that that is and kind of almost manifesting the ending absolutely yeah and um yeah and obviously that is you know um that comes about from feeling suspicious and being kind of um like deriving some kind of conspiracy um and it's all kind of another symptom that brings that all together is a loss of identity and that is one that i related to almost immediately um a loss of identity and what my values were uh who i was as a person what i wanted to look like what i wanted to act like what i wanted to sound like what did i want to do like i changed my career as you know very late in my life like when i was 30 i became a teacher and I love it, don't get me wrong. I loved my last um, career also. And even to this day, I still think like, oh, what if I did this? And what if I became a personal trainer? What if I 
got a job with Ikea to build furniture, you know, like it's every day I feel these things and I just have to sit down and kind of sit with myself and say, like, it took you a long time and a lot of emotional um, weight uh, to be a teacher and it's going well, like just sit and enjoy it. Mm, absolutely. I, I do remember from our first discussion, you mentioned the love of teaching and a particular moment where you were struggling and then you realized how much the kids specifically meant to you in terms of how much they enhanced your career satisfaction. So I'm trying to work out here, like has teaching, I presume that's your job in Romania. And if so, how has that been for you, I guess, over the last year and navigating that actual teaching process? alongside the borderline personality disorder yeah um to answer your first question it's i still feel exactly the same um coming here all all the while i've had you know fleeting thoughts of changing careers i think that will just always be one of my symptoms it's part of the loss of identity and i think that i'll always be faced with that but coming um to be aggressed really did cement my idea to get into education because I've had my, I work in um, a British international school and we follow the British curriculum. And I swear to God, it's, it's the best job I've ever had. The staff, the management, the, my colleagues, the students, they are fantastic. They are absolutely fantastic. And I had my first, basically I was a classroom teacher this year for the first time year two so grade one and I swear to god I don't think I'll ever have I don't think I'll ever be lucky enough to have a class like that they were so special to me and even on the last day of school they were you know oh we don't want to go to year three we want to stay with you and god I cried so hard that day <laughs> who's been cutting onions that sounds yeah absolutely beautiful yeah also, also <laughs> why we do this job I'm, I'm trying to think about teaching specifically is it the contribution factor is it the interaction is it lessons from young people what is it about teaching which has clearly enticed itself for you I think um with coming here and teaching the one age group um it's been so lovely to develop an interest and a passion with them especially I remember um, one of my boys, I had four boys in my class this year, and one of them, he, he was just so, so curious and inquisitive. And I really, really connected with the whole class when I taught them art. Um, it's one of my, my stronger subjects, it's one of my major interests. And I remember teaching them painting techniques one day. He was really, really developing and coming on really well. But he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he turned around and he said to me, Miss Casey, oh, thank you very much for teaching me this. This is just so interesting. And I just thought to myself, like, oh, this is great, you know? Absolutely. I mean, there are so many moments, I think, in the teaching profession where we really pinch ourselves and think, wow, we can make an exponential impact. Where, for, for, for example, in a few years' time, that student might still be doing art and he might subconsciously have this result of his class with Miss Casey and that particular example might stick out. I mean, I look at my own old teachers, I suppose, and really small moments that seemed insignificant at that time 
turned out to be huge drives and influences in my later life. So you never know the impact that you could have, Casey, with your students that you're currently mentoring. For sure, for sure. I agree that I think um, I think that for all of us, you know, it's just kids coming to school or coming to class, you know, they're they're totally different um, psychologically from the from the child that's at home and with their family. Like we have the incredible opportunity to have them come in and develop their own personalities, if you will. Like, it's just so fascinating to see. And it was so heartwarming to watch them develop and get their own personalities and their own little sense of humors and tell their own jokes and like teach me about stuff. Like, you know, they're, they're so young. They were six and seven, but they really did teach me a lot. And I hope my students will continue to teach me a lot. And like, yeah, um, as you said, it's, we are so lucky to be able to have that. We are so lucky to be able to have that as our career to make a difference, make an impact on their lives. Absolutely. And we can also do so all over the world, like how we met, which is in Vietnam and where you're currently based, which is in Mm. Romania. And I am interested in discussing environments because I, if I remember correctly, and you can go into whatever detail you want about this, the Viet- you leaving Vietnam came as a bit of a surprise to me where I think I saw you go, oh, I'm leaving on Sunday. And I thought, what the fuck? You <laughs> left so quickly <laughs> and then moved to Romania. And I don't know that much about Romania. I don't know anyone living there except for yourself. And it, it didn't seem to be the typical route after Vietnam. I suppose when I think mm. of people leaving Vietnam, I see a lot of people in Spain or in Australia doing different bits or the UK. And I think why Romania? So do you mind telling me about the change of environment, Vietnam, Romania, and what's that been like over the last year? Absolutely, Connor. Um, yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to plug Romania. <laughs> I know a lot of people have not been here. Um, Bucharest has always been on my travel bucket list, but I have to say, I adore Romania. I, I love it. I have, like, I haven't even traveled around that much here. But where I've gone, like where I've been, it has been beautiful. The people are amazing. It's so safe. The people are amazing. It's incredible. It's really just, I I love being here and I hope that I'm here for years to come. But yes, you're right. The the move was very, very swift. It's actually probably taken me almost a year to kind of get over the trauma of leaving so fast. Um, But as you know, just around the time I left, we were in a really bad, bad place with COVID. Uh, if you remember the martial law kind of thing came into play where we were locked in our apartment. I remember it well. <laughs> yes, I think we all remember it very well, just not willingly. Um, and I was just struggling with that. Like I, you know, after hearing stories of local Vietnamese people and families dying and now like starving and not having enough to live on and they can't work I mean you know how Vietnamese families make their living they're out grinding from four in the morning three in the morning like doing what they can and I just like I it was almost like it was almost like government or the country were treating COVID like another war and I just could not fathom, like I didn't fathom the decision that they were making. 
And at the time, um, a couple of my family members were very ill and was kind of teetering with the idea of going home. I had actually just started a, a job um, with a school there and I was teaching online because we were, you know, we were all in quarantine, kind of in quarantine, self, self-isolating. Um, and then also, Connor, you know about the turbulence around acquiring like a work permit, a residency mm. there. They had changed the stipulations. And I just, I was in, I was like, I, I didn't have a degree in teaching. I still don't. I'm, I got into teaching in the back door by going to Asia and just basically being persistent and following my passion. Um, but I, I just, there was too much uncertainty because I had given this everything that I had. And to just not know what the future held, both in Vietnam and outside Vietnam. And I was thinking, what should I do? Should I just go home and teach mine there? Can I afford it? Like, it's everywhere is the same in terms of COVID. So if I was going to go home, like, would I infect people? Would I get sick? You know how it was. You know, it was just, it was just up and down and just so, just so, like, surreal, mm. you know? Yeah. like the end end of days and so i i really liked the job that i had just gotten but i i just i couldn't do it i couldn't stay with them for the possibility of you know working online for months and you know having to having to stay in that environment and be you know mentally unwell and like be alone and like not know what was going on with my family and then possibly returning to school and have it all ripped away by not getting a work permit. And that, like the idea of that was just so, it was all I could think of. And I was teaching these amazing kids online every day. And it was just all I could think of, like this can disappear. This can just be taken away from me. So like, what do I do? And I talked to my family and they, were happy that I wanted to come home, but they knew it wasn't the best for me. They said, like, you know, you need to, you need to stay working. You can't really do anything here. Like, we're in the same situation. Look for something else. Come closer to home. Get a job somewhere else. Maybe in Europe. So I looked. I start looking, and I applied for this job. Um, they were looking for some immediately and then I got to, to speak to the director who was absolutely lovely by the way she is incredible and she pretty much me you know I want you to come um, I want you to talk to our uh, teaching and learning team and I spoke to them the next day which was a, a Monday I believe and I she said yeah when can you come out and I was on a plane the following Sunday, so six days. My God. Wow, that's like a life-changing moment within a week. That's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I, it, I've was, never had it was really like insane. I've never had anything like that in my own life. So I'm just thinking, Jesus, imagine what the whole period is like and the upheaval, the uncertainty. I have some kind of empathy as I move country, but never in those circumstances. And I suppose we've yeah. spoken about how you enjoy Romania and how you've moved from Vietnam. I suppose this might be tricky and quite broad because it can relate to, I suppose, your personal life in Romania, your professional life or anything else. What have been some of the main lessons you've learned since you've moved to Romania and since our last conversation? 
the main things I've learned is to just, if something feels off or if something feels wrong, it most likely is. It most likely is. And it most likely will derail you mentally and emotionally. Or it just, you know, it just, it, like, listen to your gut, basically. I had a feeling that all of that was going to be taken away from me. And I still don't know if it would have been, but I just had, I, I gravitated toward the certainty. And I think that's really come through with life in general after moving here, like in certain social situations, uh, situations and relationships at work, you know, with the students. If something feels off, it more than likely is. And again, sit down self-actualize um regulate your emotions and just like make small steps you know it can be so soul destroying it be you know it can turn you frantic but what you have to do is just sit down again with the hard hard truths and just ask yourself like is this serving me or will it serve me or should I bow out and it was really hard. It was really hard to leave Vietnam and it was really hard to leave in six days. Um, and another thing it taught me was things, material things mean shit. They mean fuck all. Connor, I packed two suitcases. I basically walked out of a full apartment. Boom. Boom, mic drop. Yeah. Wow. Anything, yeah. anything that you, I know we say it's materials ain't shit. But is there anything you left behind that you really think, oh, I could have done with that? Or is it literally a case of none of that actually mattered? Like I thought at the, at the, at the time, I thought like, I can't believe I'm leaving this. I had literally put over the three months prior, I had put everything into like making my house at home because it takes me a very long time to nest. I'm not, I'm not very good at feeling at home in a place. So I did try my very best to make my little apartment my home. And it was, it was good. And I did it. So to leave that and to walk out of that thing somewhere that had become familiar, somewhere that had become comfortable and in its own way, that related me. Like that regulated my emotions. It helped me feel safe. It helped me feel stable. Um, to leave that was I mean it sounds insane right yeah absolutely and this is about six months after we had that conversation so I suppose the question that's coming up in mind to me is if Casey from episode one so in January 2021 was to look at Casey now in July 2022 what do you think she would say I would think I think I'd say have courage in your convictions. Don't second guess yourself. Um, be brave. Be your own best friend again. Mm. Um, and ask yourself, like, is this serving you? Is this serving you or are you just coasting? And be very honest with the answer where I've done it personally before I've asked myself is this serving me and almost answered what I want to happen so I'll go yeah it is without really thinking and genuinely being honest saying no is it actually serving you 
because then you're mm-hmm. going to have an uncomfortable conversation with your inner dialogue. It's going to come up, but it's necessary. Exactly, and a lot of a lot of um, a lot of examples of that would be like through relationships and friendships. Like we, as humans, like we psychologically tend to, you know, project these ideal images of these people onto them, and you know, they're just doing their best being who they want to be but we we look for this potential almost and I'm an absolute professional at doing that (laughs) and it's something I'm working on um, to basically take people as they are and also to look for acceptance for who I am Um, because I work on myself I work a lot on myself and I try to be the best version of myself and I, I will not stop working on myself um and sometimes I sometimes I falter and now I'm human and sometimes I you know I get back into those dark places and it's just you get back up on the horse man it's just you, you dust yourself off you know yeah one thing that you mentioned there which it strikes it wasn't necessarily related but it strikes a chord in me of something I've been exploring both in my own life and on the podcast about friendships and about people and I think this is especially interesting when you live an expat life like we both have when you meet people for sure and you have to navigate those friendships of working out the balance and the boundaries of where you're at And also they might leave very soon. I've had a lot of friends who've left Vietnam to the point where I'm almost the last man standing from my initial tribe, let's say, quote unquote. And I've met new people and people have left and whatnot. And I think, where does it actually lie, like making friends abroad? It's such a complex process. How how have you managed to navigate it, not only in Vietnam, but Romania? I suppose friendships abroad as a whole. How have you managed? You know, it's been it's been kind of the same as it was in Vietnam. Like being in Vietnam, I have made incredible connections. And these people, like I, it's not a it's not a case of me leaving or them leaving and then never seeing each other again. I'm still in touch with them. We're making plans to see each other. We're you know, talk if we're not talking constantly, because you know, that's it's not realistic. It's not a realistic goal to have as an adult. And you you probably know that. Um, everybody's going through their own lives but um, I had really really close friends there and you know I when I first got here I went home to see my family um, shortly after and to go to a family wedding and I met up with some of the with some of the people who I'd made friends with who left and you know the same thing again I'm actually going back to Dublin in two weeks and I'm already making plans to see some of the people that I met in Vietnam and Hopefully, you know, when people are coming to leave Vietnam, I might, I might meet up with them. It's just like, it's something that you, you can do it. Like you can do it and you have to kind of feed those connections. Those connections can't just survive by themselves. They can't thrive. Like it's all about the work you put in. If you value something, it's like anything in life. If you value something, you will put the work in. If they value it, they'll put the work in. And if somebody's not putting the work in, like it's not, maybe it's not as strong as a connection as you thought it might be, you know, or maybe they're going through something. But if you're putting the work in, like you'll find ways to to be friends and you don't have to physically be around people to be friends. You know, like I talk to 
Um, one of my friends actually called me on uh, FaceTime the other day. My mom was here. She was sleeping in the morning time. And um, a good friend of mine who I used to hang out with and work with from Vietnam, she went home. She went home to South Africa and she was traveling. And we had said for ages, you know, let's catch up, let's catch up. But she she was going through what I went through. So I just said, I'm going to leave her to it. She'll call me when she can. And maybe two, three weeks later, she was, you know, on my FaceTime, sitting in my living room with me on a screen while I drank my morning cup of coffee and we talked for like over an hour. And, you know, that's a friendship. Like that's a, that's a connection. You don't have to be in the same room as people. And I think I, I have learned that here as well. Um, I have made amazing friends here um, through my job and also um, outside of my job. Um, one, of my, one of my first friends that lived here was um, a British girl. Uh, hey, Mina, if you're listening. And she was a teacher, but she taught, she taught at, a different, at a different school. And we met and we hung out and she's an incredible human being. She was a great support. We, were, we just had that instant click. And she unfortunately left in February. And, you know, the same thing, we still catch up because people leave, they have to live their lives, you know, and you leave, you have, you have to live your life and um, nothing is forever. It, it's, you know, it flows, it's, it's fluid. But again, if you work at it, you know, it will, it will be good. Absolutely. And I do suppose it is inevitable where the reason we met is because we both left and went to a separate place. So I suppose the principles of leaving are already there from the start of the you, friendship. Exactly. It's something you already by default have in common. Yeah, exactly. It's what brought you together. You both left your home country and came somehow ended up together in Vietnam through fate exactly. or whatever. But um, I think when it relates to friendship, I like a lot of the things you've mentioned there, including, I guess, the concept of friendship where you don't have to see each other every day or talk every day because there are so many different, I suppose, responsibilities that we all have in our personal lives. And also mm -hmm. someone's definition of a solid friendship might be different to others. Some might mm -hmm. want you to talk to them every day. Some might want a phone call or those are happy with a text. Some want an invite to your birthday. There are so many different variables. And I guess it goes to the concept of friendship and your definition and if it meets up to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, friendships are, friendships, sorry, friendships are basically just relationships without the romance or the attraction right yep. and everybody has their own love language so again it, it's just as important to understand how like what what people's style of loving are whether it be in a romantic relationship or a friendship like how do they show their love in a friendship you know it could be like acts of service like oh you know don't worry about um don't worry about cleaning up after we eat dinner at your place. I'll clean up because, you know, I'm a guest and, you know, it's like they're doing something for you or like, you know, you're going for coffee. Oh, don't worry. I'd like to buy you a coffee. You know, um, sometimes it's words of affirmation. You're feeling down. You go talk to a friend and and, you know, they're great at, you know, reassuring you and, you know, building you back up again, being positive stuff like that it's the same in relationships like how do how does your partner love so you can realize when they're loving you because that's a big one in relationships sometimes a person can be loving you and you you don't know because it's 
you know, your style is not the same as theirs. It's all, it's all relative. Yeah, absolutely. And it all depends on a wide variety of factors. And I suppose the friendship concept leading me into the expat life and a theme that I've talked about a lot in the last year or so on this podcast, Casey, and it came up from, I suppose, my research, quote unquote, of conducting so many interviews and seeing so many different people. And it put me in a position where I've got the hypothesis now that in Vietnam, it might be the same in Romania or other expat countries. I can only use Vietnam due to my experience has two Mm. routes you can go down where you can go down the escapism route of completely forgetting your problems in all sorts of different substances, but also opportunity where you can find something new, find a tribe, go hiking, start a business, start a podcast, do some kind of hobby activity, anything. You can go for opportunity. And when you move abroad, both of them can be tempting and you almost have to toe the line and go towards one. And that brings me to the opportunity side, which often comes into hobbies. Now, a lot of our first conversation and the the way we actually met was discussing one of your hobbies, which was stand-up comedy that took you a while to do, I believe from the first episode, 10 years. But once you did it, you enjoyed it. You enjoyed the rush. I saw your show at Red Rogue somewhere in D1. You crushed it, et cetera. How have you managed to keep up your hobbies since we've last spoken? Have you been able to as much as you'd like? Has it been plain sailing? Has it not? How have you dealt with your hobbies in the last year or so, Casey? That's a great question. Um, what you said, I, I'm actually stuck on something that you said that when you move away, you can um, go into escapism hmm. or form a hobby. Um, but I have a question for you. Uh, if you if you if you think that escapism is a negative aspect, true? I'd say so. Yeah, usually. Yeah. And would you say developing a hobby or an interest is positive? Yeah. So I'm gonna give you some. I'm gonna give you a thinking point. What if you're developing a hobby as a means of escapism? Um, that is a good question, actually. That is a good question or thinking point. Um, Maybe we could discuss that on a later episode. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll just give you my brief thoughts. I think that we all are ultimately escaping or dealing with something, and there are healthy ways and unhealthy ways. Where, for example, yes. if you're trying to escape from a childhood trauma and you deal with it by going to the bar night after night, it's probably not going to be a healthy outcome. But if you deal with it mm. by perhaps making light of it with comedy like maybe you've done or perhaps you get out that frustration on the sports field or you write a song about it and playing it gives you some kind of release I'd say that's a healthy way of dealing with escapism and turning it into an opportunity whilst the method of escapism I'm kind of hinting at is almost losing yourself in the process that's that's my yeah it's like like self-sabotage I get you I understand um, I would love to come back on and maybe talk about that as a topic later. Yeah, that's I think that's all a good right. one. So we'll, we'll do that for round three. But um, in the meantime, what about your hobbies? To answer your question. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, last time I spoke, I, I ended up getting like really into comedy and I was doing I was doing a lot of shows. At one point I was doing three shows in one weekend, um, which is not advisable, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah it's still one of my most loved hobbies I have not stopped writing comedy since I got here unfortunately um 
oh, the comedy scene here is big. It's huge. The clubs are gorgeous. It's really, really professional. Um, however, it's there's not much of a there's virtually no English speaking comedy. And I was persistent enough and pushed and pushed to get a slot on a Romanian speaking open mic. And my friends from work came and, you know, I crushed it. Like it, 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 it went really, really well. The audience was great. It was a full house in a real club. And, you know, I met some great comics and they were giving me like really good advice and some compliments and, you know, life happened. And although I was, although I was still writing comedy, I didn't get that much um, opportunity to perform. I'm still looking around. I still have, you know, my, my eye to my eyes and ears to the ground. And I'm potentially, I'm potentially looking at doing the same open like next week. So hopefully fingers crossed, I get to get on and, and um, get a little bit of a release from that. Um, Cause the last couple of weeks haven't, haven't really been very good for my mental health. So I'm, I'm turning to that in a way of, um, in, a, in a means of relief. Absolutely. And I suppose before we get to the final stages of tips on managing mental health, even if it's not good right now, like still things that help you and also the future projects. There's a question that I now ask Casey from all of, I guess, the reflection I've done with this podcast and all of the episodes. And it's, I guess, a role reversal, putting you in my seat and also my way of gathering constructive feedback. And the question I pose to you is, has there been a question that I have not asked you that you would have liked me to, or you expected me to ask you? Oh, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. I'm not sure. Um, has there been a question that you haven't asked me? No, I mean, you've asked me every, like, that's the nature of our conversations, Connor. You know, the, you always, you always know what you're going to get with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I look forward <laughs> to the round three, which we hinted at earlier, which will genuinely happen in a few months or so. So I look forward absolutely. to that. Um, I suppose. No, no sweat. No sweat at all. Now that we're going, well, you're going through a bit of a difficult patch, which I'm sorry to hear, but I suppose when you are going through good stages and everything's rosy and you are able to see the light, what sort of things are happening in your life? As in, how do you know when everything's going well? When I'm, when everything's going well, I'm generally at peace with myself, with who I am. I have some kind of identity um, and, and, and I show that and I live that in my everyday life. Um, I will be able to focus on my hobbies because they are part of my identity. Um, I'm journaling constantly, daily. I'm, you know, I'm active around my home. I'm, you know, getting out, uh, socializing, not much, but I can be alone as well. Um, but lately, um, yeah, it hasn't really been too good hasn't really been too good yeah I see but I'm hoping you know that things will pick up for you and that hobbies will take place and things will manifest themselves for you you've been there before you've had your setbacks you've made your comebacks and I know this might sound like what's the word airy fairy perhaps just (laughs) positivity but I'm sure that you will get there and happy to perhaps send any resources that I that have helped me that might help you afterwards that hopefully can make some kind of positive impact towards you now, as we've mentioned, we will do a round three pretty soon. And I mean, like maybe yes. in a couple of weeks even about that opportunity. For sure. 
escapism factor where we can get philosophical and spontaneous and i'm looking forward to that actually as well as, as we're talking. it's so funny yeah. it's so funny that you said that because um that's one of the things that i'm looking into right now is philosophy and the different schools of philosophy so yeah we should definitely hit that up in a few weeks absolutely yeah yeah that's definitely practice hopefully i can be some kind of positive dance partner in that regard let's say it's <laughs> likewise yeah and um, the final question it relates to perhaps another one so let's say it's a year from now and we're doing round whatever number we're at, at that point so it's july 2023 and who knows where you'll be if we had had this chat after the first one of what would happen neither of us would have predicted our own situations but let's let's yeah. try i suppose so it's a year from now we're settling down for another podcast conversation and i say hey casey how's your year been what have you achieved what would you like to be telling me um well so far i have a big plan and i don't want to let the cat out of the bag yet you'll just have to interview me in a year okay cool. um but it will be a very 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 big change um which i'm actioning right now uh, a part of that change is stepping back into the gym getting my physical health back in order um training with a personal trainer which is actually starting tomorrow and what else well yeah that's all i can really tell you for now excellent i look forward to it and hopefully my goals <laughs> manifest in a year or so and we can catch up properly and i look forward to hearing more casey thank you very much you were the first person oh. ever to agree to be interviewed <laughs> by me and before you go connor before you go what about you what about a me year from now a year from now i want to expand this platform and also my own personal my own personal i don't want to say the word brand but my own personal i'll, I'll use the word brand okay <laughs> my own personal brand level so you should say that so much it's so dicky <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've just got to and um, what i'll say is that i've i've improved my physical health a lot since you've last seen me good to the you probably get quite surprised actually so i've improved my physical health a lot uh as a rule as a rule i've improved my mental health a lot but we still get flare-ups and so of that course. needs to be reduced i think um i want to get more involved in the writing space and there are a few activities now which have really taken really taken hold with me so i'm really excited for that i think i need to test myself more with this platform so possibly more video different types of guests, different avenues. And that's also taking place right now. So I think to be more well-rounded, more, more, I guess, concise in my approach. And I want to be very, 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 very good at interviewing people. I think I am good, but I could get a lot better. I've seen improvements and I want to see more and more. And I like putting in the practice as in I did quite a lot of work since our first conversation at getting better. Yeah, at so much work. Yeah, hell of a lot. So I'll probably do <laughs> more and see where we go. But I think you'll see a more rounded, better, more positive, more vibrant version of me in a year. It's it's a good time for reflection, actually, because I'm 25 in two weeks time. And that's almost... Oh, like, you're a baby, Connor. Yeah, indeed. Quarter life. And so it's almost a point where I think, right, what do I want to achieve before I'm 30? And things are taking action. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, listen, as a 34 year old, don't worry about crushing anything before your 30s because when I turned 30, my life started happening. Boom, boom. I love to hear that. Hopefully I can take full advantage of the next five years and the five after that and keep going. Hopefully you do too. Casey, thank you very much and see you for the next round. Thanks so much, Connor. I'm looking forward to it.